0: Good morning. morning. It is a pleasure to be here with you this morning as a people in this town of Noonan to worship our God together, to belong together as a church, a local expression of God's kingdom, of God's universal church. Uh, One of the things I like to do, I I think it's important as a, a pastor, is to recommend good books, recommend good authors, people that you should read. Uh, things that uh, would be edifying to your soul. I think you know, one of the best pieces of counsel probably that, that a Christian can get is to read good books, read books uh, of all sorts, but especially by great spiritual leaders, great Christian teachers throughout the ages of the church. And one of those in more recent history is... David Martin Lloyd-Jones. I'm not sure if you have encountered him. If you haven't, you, you must. You must go and find some D. Martin Lloyd-Jones books and read them. Any will do. Uh, I'm, I'm certain of that, although I haven't read all of them. But uh, I, I will say that any will do uh, with great confidence in him as a writer. And as a pastor, and as a a man who loved the Lord very much, but some have called him the greatest expository preacher of the 20th century. And one of the things that I found very interesting as I was going through seminary and then afterwards, what all all of the pastors whom I greatly respect, a lot of guys who are still alive now but quite older, um, really looked back to Martin Lloyd Jones as their kind of hero, as the person that they wanted to emulate. And in, uh, at, one, at one point in Martin Lloyd-Jones' ministry, he, te- he tells the story of how, well, obviously he would go around, he would travel, and he would preach in various towns. And he tells the story about how he went to one particular town to preach, and there he stayed with uh, some friends, a wife and her husband. And he began to notice that the wife was, as he described it, in a state of acute distress. <laughs> he was a former doctor. So, uh, so that's his doctor language coming out there. But uh, in a state of acute distress, she was. She was quite discouraged. And he began to kind of try to draw out from her why it was that she was in such a bad state. And what she described to him was that there had been a lady recently who would come to town. And she was a a Christian lecturer, teacher, you know, of of sorts. And she came to town and she delivered a lecture entitled, How to Bring Up All the Children in Your Family as Good Christians. And so she had given her lecture and this lady was left in a state of despair. Left in a state of acute distress. And this is what he writes. He describes it kind of uh, mockingly here in a sarcastic tone. It was wonderful. She had five or six children. This is the lecturer and what she had described. She had five or six children, and she had so organized her home and her life that she finished all her domestic work by nine o'clock in the morning and then gave herself to various Christian activities. All her children were fine Christians, and it was all so easy, so wonderful. The mother, this is him continuing to, to explain, the mother talking to me who had two children was in a state of real distress feeling that she was a complete and utter failure because this lady's life did not seem to match up with hers or or her her family life her children what had i to say to her martin lee jones says this i said wait a moment how old are the children of this lady I happened to know the answer, and my friend knew also. Not one of them at that time was above the age of 16 or thereabouts. I went on. Wait and see. This lady tells you that they are all Christians and that all you need is a scheme that you carry out regularly. Wait a while. The story may be different in a few years, and alas, it turned out to be very different. It is doubtful whether more than one of those children is a Christian. Several of them are openly anti-Christian and have turned their back upon it all. And here's his final point. This is the point he's trying to make. You cannot bring up children to be Christians in that way. It is not a mechanical process. And in any case, it was all so cold and clinical. A child is not a machine. And so you cannot do this work mechanically, that was where he left it. So as parents, here as we are looking at this topic of of parenting, coming to the end of our series on family, my family for his glory, we, I think, are confronted with this very important truth, is that we cannot think about parenting and the process of parenting as a mechanical process or as a scheme. If we do this, if we check these boxes, if we follow this step-by-step, I'm a step kind of person. So I'm inclined this way. I can relate. You know, I like steps. I like to sort of follow them and, and have it clear. I always read the instructions. I'm one of those type of people. And so, you know, that, that, I can relate to this, but it's simply not, it doesn't work. That's not how parenting works. So we're not interested in finding a scheme. We haven't been. We're not interested in inputting the right code and hitting the right buttons to make sure that when we do that, we get the right outcome or result. But we are looking for principles, nonetheless, that are drawn directly from God's word. Because God tells us how to parent. He tells us clearly how to parent. And he actually expects us to do it well. He doesn't expect us to just fumble around and do it haphazardly. He expects us to do it well, knowing all the while that we need his grace, that it's for his glory, And that apart from him, we can do nothing. But he expects, nonetheless, for us to follow his word in obedience and love and worship and to be good, godly parents. And I'll remind us as well that the outcome is not certain, right? You can be a godly parent and walk through God's word as you parent consistently, although imperfectly, and your children still grow up, our children still grow up to reject the Lord because they have a will of their own. They're not machines. We don't program them and send them off into the world and know how it's going to go. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know whether or not they will choose Christ or choose the idols of this world. We prepare them, we send them off, and then they have a will of their own. But we are given much confidence from God's word that when we do train up a child in the way he should go, he will not depart from it. That's not a promise, but it is a principle. It's a principle that when we do these things, we can expect and we can hope for good outcomes. So this is our second sermon on Ephesians 6-4. That's where we're drawing what we are on parenting. We've looked at, since we've been in this series, we've looked at the context of our passage, Ephesians 5, to 6 4 We looked at the preceding context, and we looked at foundation stones for families. Then we came to wives, and we had some sermons on wives drawn from verses 22 to 24, and then we looked at verses 25 to 33 and talked about husbands. We had three sermons on husbands, and then we looked at singles. We took the entire passage on married, on, on married life and on marriage, on husbands and wives, and we applied that to singles. How ought singles to respond to the truth of God that we find in those verses? And then we entered into chapter 6, and we looked at verses 1 to 3 where we, where we discussed the topic of children. What is the responsibility that God places on children? And of course, by implication, parents are in the business of helping children meet that responsibility. And so we were already at that point discussing parenting. But then in chapter 6, verse 4, with that opening word, fathers, we enter into explicitly instruction for parents. And that's where we were last week. That's where we are at today. And yes, that is where we will be next week, but then that'll be it. Okay? Uh, I'm, I'm almost certain. But next week, next week, uh, really am. But next week, we should finish uh, all, of, all of this series. And next week, what we will look at is, is what we ought to teach our children. If we're going to sort of boil it down to the, the essential things that we ought to teach our children, next week, that's what we will cover. But today, I want to draw out four basic principles for parenting for God's glory. Once again, these are not buttons that you push on the machine, but these are biblical principles drawn from Ephesians chapter six, verse four, and reading that, of course, in the context of all of scripture. So let's look. Ephesians chapter six, verse four. Turn there, scroll there. However you get there, let's read it. Chapter 6, verse 4. It says this Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Period. Brief, but packed. Packed with all kinds of Glorious, helpful, edifying, profitable truth. Let's pray. Our good Father, we thank you for your precious word. And we thank you for your spirit who, who authored these words and who applies them to our lives. God, would you do that work today in us? We are so needy. Father, we are incapable of, of on our own, trusting in you as our Father. We so often do not see you as our loving Heavenly Father, and we fall into the pit of trying to to please you in ways that we are trying to sort of earn your favor without realizing that in Christ we have your favor every moment of every day. God, help us to rest in your fatherhood and thereby to become the kinds of fathers that we need to be. And Father, help us to be that kind of father, a godlike. father. Father to our children. Lord, I recognize that there are fathers of various stages in our congregation, and Lord, I pray that you will apply the truth of your word to every parent, even to those whose children have grown up and who've moved on and started lives of their own. Lord, would you help these principles to be extended in such a way that there's even wisdom that has grown from this as as we apply the truth of your word to all of those parent-child relationships. And Father, would you continue to help us as children to honor our fathers and mothers. Lord, would you help us to be godly, to be wise, to walk in your ways, to always be pleasing you as we trust in Jesus and as he gives us the grace that we need to face the challenges of every new day. Father, there are fresh challenges today for some. Some are are struggling through very difficult times in their families, God, would you just provide today encouragement and hope. Not despair. Would we not leave here like that lady left that lecture who left with just feeling defeated and fatalistic, as though there's, there's no hope. God, would we leave here hopeful and ready to walk in trust and obedience, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, from chapter six, verse four, we will look at four basic principles, or you could say four imperatives for parenting. Four imperatives for parenting. These are, as we, as we talked about last week, those are starting points. These are basics as well. I mean these are things that we must have as parents in order to, to be God in order to have God glorifying homes, in order to walk in a way and raise our children in a way that God is glorified on the earth. And so be careful, be courageous, be committed, and be constant. So let's look first at be careful. Be careful. There are two main instructions in verse 4 given to fathers, and by extension, parents. So last week we talked about, we, we looked at fathers specifically because the word there is fathers. And so we needed to really camp out on the responsibility of fathers in particular. We discussed mothers. We discussed parenting in general. But today I want to kind of generalize it and take a step back. This is for mothers and for fathers, for parents, The second of these instructions is positive. This is what we are to do. The second part of verse four, what we are to do, to bring them up, it says, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. But the first is a negative. This is what we are not to do. Isn't God incredible? He tells us exactly what we shouldn't do and what we should do very clearly here. And he says this, do not provoke your children to anger. And this, of course, means that there is a danger to be avoided, that we need to beware, that we need to be careful. And just as a general application at this point or a general question, how many of us, just before we go any further, fall very quickly into a pattern of careless parenting? I mean, forget what we're going to discuss in terms of what it means to be careful. Maybe you're here today and you would just say, just in general terms, there's just a a general thoughtlessness a general lack of intentionality, a general carelessness associated with your parenting. And let me say this as far as carelessness is concerned, it's not just about knives, fire, and oncoming traffic. Obviously, when you have little ones, those are the key concerns and others as well. You know, cleaning liquid and other kinds of things, obviously. There's a fairly large list, uh, which I'm trying to. to to rehash because we have a little one on the way and that will be be our experience once again. But it's not just knives and fire and oncoming traffic. It has to do with their soul, attentiveness to the soul of this child. One of the things that J.C. Ryle, in his book, Duties of Parents, harps on over and over again is the fact that we must always be about the business of caring for the souls of our children. We want to protect their bodies from those things that I just mentioned, but we should be very careful in protecting and guiding and guarding and shepherding that soul, not just that body. So careless parenting, that is certainly a danger. So what does it mean to provoke your children to anger? What are the kinds of behaviors that cause this to happen? I mean, that is what Paul tells us, what the Lord, through the apostle Paul, tells us we ought not to do. Do not provoke your children to anger. But what does this mean? How do we avoid doing this? I want want to point out to you four things from this text and its context that tell us what it means to provoke our children to anger. First, and most generally, Abuse of authority. On a, on a most general level, abuse of authority provokes our children to anger. Notice that this instruction that we get here comes immediately after children are commanded to obey. So, so put this instruction in context, right? Your fathers are to not provoke their children. You scroll back to chapter 6 verse 1 and what do you see there? Children, obey your parents. That is the relationship between a father and a child. And if we scroll back even further, we realize, as we talked about last week, that fathers are the head of their household. And so what we have here is a child who is instructed to obey and fathers who are heads of their household. That is a potentially very toxic situation because of this. It is a situation where there is authority and there is self-will in the child. This is a point that John Piper draws out in particular is the self-will of the child under the father's authority. He says the child embodies self-will and the father embodies authority. And so in that situation, there is most certainly the potential for abuse and therefore the provoking of children to anger. And I think this happens first when we take advantage of their vulnerability. We take advantage of the vulnerability of those who who are under our authority. We see this also with wives. So remember, husbands are to be the head of their wives. And what does Peter say about this relationship? He says in 1 Peter 3, 7, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker Vessel. Now we could discuss what he means there by a weaker vessel. Some of you women are like, "What? Uh, you don't really, you don't really like that right off the cuff." But the point is that there is a situation of authority. The husband does have a, a kind of authority in the home. He's the head in his home, even head over his wife. And we talked about what that implies. For wives, and so Peter's instruction is to relate to her in an understanding way, in a way that shows sympathy for her, in a way that understands that she's in a vulnerable place, because anyone who is under authority is in a vulnerable place, a position in which they can be exploited by those who are over them, and that is the situation very much with children. This happens, to be more specific, when we are excessive, harsh... Domineering in the exercise of that authority. So, what about excessive? We give them boundaries, but sometimes those boundaries get narrower and narrower and narrower. And so we're not really about cultivating godly children. We're about cultivating children who go out into the world and have all of these various worldly or even traditionalist manners that we've sort of squeezed them into this little square and that's where they run free. It's not a lot of free free running within that space. And so we squeeze them and squeeze them and squeeze them until they have nowhere to go and they become provoked, they become angry, it becomes toxic. When we're harsh, I mean, how many of us maybe have seen, even in our own parenting, that when we speak to our kids, it's not with kindness, it's with sharpness and rebuke that is sharp and harsh and annoyed and irritated. It even has, the eyebrows are down. I remember talking with, with Mark, he, he hosts, uh, Mark Grasso, he hosts a a, uh, a conference that we have here at the church for those who would be adopting children or who are in foster care. And I remember he and I were talking about the fact that facial expressions are very important. You know, facial muscles. You use those muscles. We use those muscles when our kids get in trouble. We use them a lot. And we communicate to our kids, you are annoying me. You are getting on my nerves. You are an imposition on my life. Right now I don't like you. That's what we communicate to our children with those facial Muscles, harsh, yelling, harsh tone, domineering. That attitude, that exclusive attitude, not that there's never a place for this, but that exclusive attitude of, because I told you so, because I told you so, that's it, period, always, because I told you so. No listening, no trying to relate, smack it down on them, domineering. This is what it looks like to abuse our authority. If you want to know what the opposite of this is, J.C. Ryle says this, train up your, chil- your child with all tenderness, affection, and patience. Tenderness, affection, and patience. One of the things that I found very interesting, I was reading, uh, when I lived in Scotland, I was reading a, a little bu- a book that had in it a biography of John Knox, the famous Scottish reformer. And he was a very kind of strong preacher against a lot of things. I mean, he was, if you would have heard him, probably today's sensibilities, he would have been considered very kind of over the top, harsh, strong. But when you read about how he relates with his children, it's very interesting. The way that he was tender with them and patient with them. And this is exactly what we see here with J.C. Ryle. That is the opposite of what I just described. The opposite of of excessive, harsh, and domineering, tender, affectionate, and patient. Does that that explain, does that speak of how you relate to your children? Of how I relate to my son? And I want to say this too, as we've been relating this back to our father. Our father serves us through the self-giving life of his son. Son, our father does not abuse his authority. Our father in Christ kneels down and washes our feet. Our father in Christ came not to serve, not mean not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So our father does not abuse his authority over us. Our father serves us in every way. So that's the first abuse of authority. That's the first way that you can provoke your children To anger, and we should be careful that we don't do that. Secondly, insensitivity to their emotions. How often does this describe what we do? Where am I getting this? Well, look at the verse Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Clearly, there's an emotion in view. In other words, fathers right off the cuff are told that they should be attentive to the emotional expressions of their children. They should be attentive to what's going on inside the mind, what's going on inside the heart. So do you know your kids? Do you know what makes them weak, what makes them vulnerable, what makes them struggle with their their little tempers? Their little out, the the sort of outworking of all their emotions of various kinds, what makes them excessively sad or excessively angry or excessively irritated. Are you attentive to those things? Do you kind of work around those with smoothness, with a kind of parental art where you are lovingly guiding them around those rough areas in their soul? Or do you just jam your finger right in the middle of it? Just ask for them to get angry. Just ask for them to get irritated. Just ask for them to lose their control. So it's knowing our kids and it's avoiding those areas that cause them to lash out. I think it's also watching their emotions. You know, as our children begin to reach a point of anger, there are all kinds of of points along that, that pathway where we can step in and begin to resolve that anger, begin to smooth it out. But we don't. We just let it go and go and go until it reaches a point where this has already happened. We have already provoked them to anger when we could have preempted that a while ago. Our Father sympathizes with us. He knows what we need. He is attentive to our souls. He is attentive to our emotions. It even says in the Psalms multiple times, he knows our frailty. He knows that we are but dust. He knows that we are but a fading flower. And God relates to us as our father in that way with much patience and much sensitivity to our weaknesses and our struggles. No temptation comes that we are not able to escape from. You know what that means? Is that God, every individual person, God does not even allow allow a single temptation into your life, into my life, tailored for me that I am not able, by God's grace, to overcome. He tailors the temptations. He himself does not tempt, but he he holds back certain temptations so that the temptations do not overtake any one of us. This is a God who knows us intimately. This is a God who cares about what we're feeling, what we're thinking, what's on the inside of our hearts. So insensitivity to their emotions, abuse of authority. Thirdly, selfish parenting. Now, we are all, Selfish. Every single one of us is selfish. But insofar as God's grace is working in us, we are dying to ourselves, as we're told throughout the scriptures. So where am I getting this? Selfish parenting. We read at the end of verse 4 that this is done in the discipline and instruction. We bring up our children in the discipline and instruction what? Of the Lord. Do you know what this tells me? That Everything that we do with respect to our children, everything we do is with reference to the Lord. We bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That means that everything we're doing when we relate to our kids has to do with God, which means it doesn't have to do with, it doesn't have to do with me. It's not about me. It's not about the parent. It's about the Lord. And there are two things I think that come in to parenting, that oftentimes provoke our children. One is our convenience. We do what works for us. What works for our temperament, what works for our schedule, what works for our pursuits, what works for our hobbies, what works for what we want to do in the evening, works entirely around us. We should not make our world revolve around our kids, but nor should we make our world revolve around us. It should revolve around the Lord. It's not about us, it is about the Lord. Another aspect of our selfishness has to do with our pride. How often do we provoke our children to anger because we discipline them or relate to them in such a way that pleases the onlookers, the people who are looking on? You know, we were really patient before, and I mentioned this in a previous sermon, we were really patient before at home, but now we're out in public. You don't do this in, I mean, how often do you hear parents say, you don't do this in public? Well, you don't do this in private. If, you, if, you, if they shouldn't do it, right, if that's part of these boundaries that you've determined are right and good and appropriate, then they don't do them at home, nor do they do them in public, because if they can do them at home with no discipline, but they cannot do them in public, what you are communicating to them is that they serve your pride. They are at the service of your pride and your vainglory before men. That your parenting is not about the Lord, it's not about them, it's about you. That is what we communicate to our children and that is one of the things that provokes us to anger. Finally, another thing that provokes our children to anger is when we make life impossible for them. Martin Lloyd-Jones discusses this. And if you look at Colossians chapter three, verse 21, we get a parallel to our passage, and that's where I'm getting this from. Colossians 3, 21 says this. Fathers, do not provoke your children. It's a parallel. Then it says this. Lest they become discouraged. So we, we read this passage in light of that passage, and we come to understand that the result of our provoking them is that they become discouraged, which means that provoking our children to anger is an activity that breeds discouragement. It is a discouraging activity. It is an activity that leads them up against a wall, leads them up against a place of frustration. In other words, it makes life impossible for them. They cannot navigate life. They can't move to the left or to the right or forward or backwards. They're stuck. And they begin to explode. (laughs) And that shows itself up in various ways, but one of the ways is through their anger. Life becomes impossible for children when we do two things. You ever heard this word, capricious? Write this one down. It's a good word to remember. Capricious. I know Sharon Sellers knows this word. Some of of you others do as well. Capricious characterized by, I'll read you a dictionary definition, characterized by or liable to sudden, unpredictable changes in attitude or behavior. Impulsive, fickle, unpredictable. This is an unpredictable parent. Children just don't know. They walk on eggshells all the time because if daddy had a good day at work, it's gonna be good tonight. I'll get lots of ice cream. I won't get any spankings. There won't be any discipline. Great day. But if daddy had a bad day at work, I'm going to hide in my room. I'm going to hide in my closet. I'm not going to come out. I'm not going to speak. Walking on eggshells because they just don't know. Now, that's an extreme example, but imagine all of the, 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 more, the, the less, the milder examples that we run into every day, where children just don't know whether, maybe I'll get a spanking for this this time, because I, I didn't get one last time. Maybe this is a, a boundary crossing, but maybe not. It just depends on my parents' mood. Everything depends on my parents' mood. It's so subjective. There's no clarity. There's no predictability in the home. This makes life impossible to navigate for a child, and it provokes them to anger. It provokes them to discouragement, to frustration. Another aspect of this is when we fail to give affirmation and reward. A child feels like he or she can't win. They don't know uh, whether they can do this or not because the parents are so unpredictable, and they never are told, good job. I'm proud of you. They're never affirmed. They're never told how much they're loved. They're never rewarded. Lots of discipline, but no rewards. Lots of rebuke, but no uplifting, encouraging speech that makes them feel valued and precious, bearers of God's image. Failure to give affirmation and reward makes life impossible for children. Our father, by contrast, is unchanging. Our father is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Guess what? God's gonna relate to you in the same way that he is today. He's going to relate to you all the way up till your death because he's always the same. God, we can count on. Can your kids count on you to give them the kind of discipline that they so desperately need, the love and discipline and all of that that God's word calls us to? Are we predictable So to sum it up, unyielding, unsympathetic, and unpredictable parents provoke their children to anger, bitterness, resentment, hatred. All of these things boil over into the life of a child who is provoked in these ways. So let the Holy Spirit apply this to you where it fits. Let the Holy Spirit apply this to us. And let's let's change these things. If these are things that we're doing and we know we're provoking our children to anger, let's stop. By God's grace, let's stop and do differently. So, why is provoking a child so devastating? I mean, so what? You know, I'm a little bit attentive. I mean, inattentive. So what? You know, I mean, I, I don't think about it all of the time. I'm not careful, but it's going to be fine. They'll be fine. They'll be fine. Why is this so devastating? The first thing, this is so important, you cut yourself off, you cut your child. When you provoke them to anger, you cut your child off from your guidance. Why do you do that? Because you have lost their heart. And when you lose their heart, you lose their ears. And when you lose their ears, you lose influence over their life. They don't listen to you anymore because they hate you, because they're angry, they're resentful, they're bitter. They don't care what you have to say. That can happen to a child. Maybe it has happened to some of you. The answer for that is forgiveness, which can only be found in the gospel. The second and even far more important thing that happens when we do this is we throw open a doorway for the devil. Ephesians four twenty six to 27 says this, Be angry and do not sin, Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Do you know what that means? When you provoke your children to anger, when we provoke our children to anger, it is not just a casual, unimportant thing. It is like walking into their bedroom at night and slinging it open for intruders to come in to their room while they sleep. That is exactly what we do when we provoke our children to anger. We throw open the doors of their heart and we say, Satan, come on in. Devour this life. Have this life. Eat up this heart. Eat up this soul. Breed the cancer of bitterness and hatred. Hatred of you which turns into hatred of God. Hatred of all authority. Because the one they knew who was over them, they could not love. They could not grow to respect. This is what happens when we do these things. It's serious, which is why we ought to be careful. But the second thing I want you to see is that we should be courageous. Courageous. Now everyone's freaked out about parenting. You're thinking, man, I'm doing that, or I've done that, or I'm gonna do that. Uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe now you're, u- you're ultra careful. You're very conscientious. Well, a focus on being careful can lead to fear, Even paralysis, you just stop functioning because you're so afraid that you may provoke them and so you can't do anything. But God does not leave us merely with something to avoid. If God simply said, do not provoke your children to anger, period, and then moved on, then we would have reason to stop here. But we don't stop here. We are told that there is something we must do. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we cannot afford to be paralyzed by fear. We've got work to do. We've got to move on in our imperfection. We must proceed with the task. Here's the main point I want you to see. Parents must be courageous to correct. Now, all of a sudden, there are some ideas that come to mind as we think about correcting, nagging, criticizing, belittling. Well, here's the thing. We've already discussed that with being careful. So in the context of being careful, you are courageous, You stand tall, you walk out, you tackle this task of parenting with courage because you're always doing it in the context of being careful. Careful and courageous. This is guiding them away from foolishness towards wisdom. We must be courageous to correct. We're gonna correct our kids. A lot. A lot. Both words at the end of verse four, discipline and instruction are corrective in nature. I want you to see this. Look back at our text, chapter six, verse four. But bring them up in the discipline, that's one word, and instruction, that's the second, of the Lord. The word used here for discipline is the same word used in Hebrews 12. And most of you would know this passage. It's probably pretty familiar to you. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. And it says later that for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Do you see that discipline is corrective in nature. It corrects you in the direction of righteousness. It it takes you out of unrighteousness and it brings you over into righteousness to wisdom. And that is what is being referred to in Hebrews 12 as the discipline of the Lord. This is how God relates to us. And some of us have to get jerked really hard. But God is in the business of moving us in the path of wisdom. And so sometimes God will allow things into our lives. God will move in our lives providentially in certain ways. And I mean, the the, the truth is we're being disciplined. We're being disciplined. But we're told that this is for only those who are called sons. Those whom God loves loves and those whom God delights in. So the word discipline is corrective in nature. That's the main point I'm trying to make. The word instruction, which is more verbal in nature, this has to do with speech that corrects, essentially means counsel about avoiding or stopping an improper course of conduct. That's what this idea instruction means. So here's where we find it. In Titus chapter three, verse 10, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. So this idea of instruction packed into this idea is to warn, to admonish. So both discipline and instruction are corrective in nature. Correcting our children is at the heart. This is what you have to see. Correcting, specifically. Correcting our children is at the heart of what it means to bring them up in the Lord. We will correct them. We cannot be afraid to do this, and it should be no surprise to us if much of our time is spent doing it. No surprise. Why? Because they're born sinners. If that's news to you, read the Bible. Children are born sinners, depraved. I even heard one preacher say, reprobates. <laughs> that's hard to swallow, but, but that is true, I know that about my son, and you should know that about your children. If you don't know it, if we don't know it, there's no way we can shepherd them away from that to God. We have to know what they truly are, we have to know what's in their heart, that God made them in his image. But because of the fall, every person comes into the world with a wicked heart, a heart that is turned towards self, towards idols, not towards God, not towards wisdom. And if we don't know that about our precious little children and those who've grown older and older, then there's no way we can help them. We won't correct them if we think they start out good, blank slate, and then all this stuff gets scribbled on to them. If we think that way about our children, we will not correct them. We will shield them, tuck them away in our pockets, and make sure nothing ever influences them but we won't correct them because we don't believe that sin is in their heart. We believe it comes from the outside and it comes in and and, and it just presses in on them. That is true but it's the evil desires of the heart of every person that ultimately leads to sin, not what's on the outside. And folly is bound up in the heart of a child, we are told. I wanna read you something from Proverbs. This corrective guidance away from folly and towards wisdom is more valuable than anything you could do for your child. Corrective discipline in the context of this care, this tenderness, this patience that we just talked about is the most valuable thing that you could ever give your child, by far. Proverbs 6.20, my son, keep your father's commandment. Forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. Listen to this. This is so beautiful when you think about it. Imagine your child, maybe now five. What what will it be like when they're 18 and they start college? What kind of life will they live? What will they be thinking when they're enticed by sinners to go and sin? When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, They will watch over you. The words, the instruction, the corrective instruction of mom and dad, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you because it's in their head, it's in their heart. Even the little things that they learned when they were little, they will talk with you. It's a beautiful image for the commandment is a lamp. They will always be carrying around a torch in every dark alley, in every cave of this world, in every corner of the darkness of this evil world, they will always have a lamp, the lamp of your corrective instruction. The lamp and the teaching is a light. And listen to this, the reproofs of discipline, reproofs, correction, are the way of life. We destroy our kids We kill our kids. And the Bible says we hate our kids when we do not correct them, and frequently so. I want to give you an illustration of this from the life of David, the king. David, man after God's own heart, had a very rocky life. His children did some pretty awful things, but he himself did an awful thing with Bathsheba, Uriah. I won't get into that story, but what I wanna focus on here is David's son Adonijah. Maybe you've never heard of Adonijah. First Kings chapter one, verse six, says this. Now Adonijah exalted himself, saying, I will be king. David is lying on his deathbed. He's dying. The strong king who as a teenager defeated Goliath is dying in his bed. Cold Can't even stay warm. So they have to bring a maiden in to lie in bed with him. Nothing sexual there. Just a lady to come in and lie in bed with him so that his body will stay warm. He's old and frail and dying. And his son, Adonijah, exalts himself while his father's still alive against his father's wishes, against the wishes of the Lord, and says, I am king now. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And listen to what it says, this little verse. You could skip over it all too quickly. His father had never at any time displeased him by saying, why have you done thus and so? His father just didn't want to bother him, didn't want to correct him, didn't want to reprove him, didn't want to rebuke him. It says displease him. Why have you done this? Maybe had that happened, Adonijah would not have grown up to become wicked. By the way, he was executed shortly thereafter. Once again, the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Literally so, literally so. So be careful and be courageous. As we finish up this morning, I want to make two very brief points. Be committed, As I commented last week, the language of bringing up, which we find here in verse four, bringing up discipline and instruction, all of these words point to the role as parents, the role of parents as teachers or educators. That's what parents are. Parents teach and they educate their children. The responsibility of teaching brings us back, as I said last week, to Deuteronomy chapter six, where parents are instructed in verse seven in this way, you shall teach them God's revealed truth, and I've inserted that. It's it's everything that, that God had just revealed to them on Mount Sinai, everything that God had given them through Moses, his law, his wonderful deeds, all of that given to them, and it says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Now, as I said, next week, we will focus entirely, as we finish this series, we will focus entirely on what we are to teach our children. We were asking the question, okay, I'm gonna teach my kids, Um. Genesis 1-1. I mean, what, what, do you, you know, what do we teach our kids? What, what do we, uh, memorizing Genesis 1-1 wouldn't be a bad idea, but I'm just saying, oftentimes we just don't know what we're going to do, how we're, what we're going to say, where does it all start? Of course, the Bible and prayer and this kind of thing. I want next week to talk specifically about what we can begin to teach our children throughout their lives. But in these last two points, I want to focus on the manner of our teaching. We are to be committed and be constant as we finish up today. And here I want to highlight this word, diligently. We are to teach our children diligently. And this idea in Hebrew has the idea of repetition, repeated teaching. This is repetition with a child, constantly repeating to them. And I think there are three things that we ought to consider here. If we want to apply this to our lives very quickly as we think about let's be diligent, let's be committed in teaching our children three things that we can do. Develop a system, not like the lady in the introduction where it's just all so clear cut and all of that, but a system whereby the main things of our holy faith, our most holy faith, are taught to them repeatedly. We need to think about that. You know, oftentimes, kids growing up in church are taught a bunch of disparate truths that make no sense, that it's just kind of like one over here, and there's one over there, and yet God created us, and Jesus died for us, and there's just all these things. There's no system to it. There's no approach to understanding it. It's just disparate truths, tacked up on a board that you then walk away with and you gotta work it out in your life to put it all together. I think that we need to develop a system so that the main things of our faith are repeated and so that the whole of the Bible is taught to our children in a way that, that, that can be accessible to them. I think it also involves setting aside time. Everything we do in life, even down to the triviality of watching a series on Netflix, everything that we do in life requires that we set aside time. No one who wants to watch a series on Netflix just says, well, I'll kind of get to it maybe here and there. You think, I'm doing that tonight at nine o'clock. I'm doing it here, I'm doing it there. And you know what? More often than not, you won't miss that appointment if it's for your own leisure. You won't miss that appointment. You miss a lot of other things, but you won't miss that appointment. How about having an appointed time where you give biblical instruction to your children? Why is this so difficult for us as Christians to grasp? Do you know that in the history of the church, this was a no-brainer? Throughout the history of the church, this was a no-brainer. Nowadays, it's like maybe a couple times a week, we'll sit and we'll go over a little devotional. It doesn't even have anything to do with the Bible, and then that's it? That's not giving Deuteronomy 6 instruction of God's weighty truths to our next generation children. So be diligent, in setting aside time and giving instruction that you systematically determine what you're going to teach your children. And practice consistency. Prioritize this in your routine. I think a lot of times we say, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna make sure that we get these things done in the day or these things done in the week. What if this moved to the top of the list? Imagine what that would look like. Giving your children instruction in the gospel of God moved to the top of the list. There's a ton of other things that could go into the rubbish bin ton of other things that could go into the trash but not this this is a priority so be careful be courageous be committed and as we finish this morning be constant if we continue reading in Deuteronomy 6 this is what we find listen to this you shall teach them diligently to your children we just read that and shall talk of them I love this I love this And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets upon your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, you shall talk about the wonderful truth of God what this means is that the word of God is constantly being infused into everyday life everything has reference reference to God every butterfly every worm every experience every friendship every book every movie every conversation all of that with reference to God talking about the Lord thinking about the Lord meditating on the Lord that's the climate of our homes now here's a danger on that some of you are thinking okay great, I'm gonna go home and do that. Here's what you need to focus on at this point. Not that. Focus on what precedes that. Look at this verse, verse six. Just before all of this, it says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So here's the thing. What children need is not a bunch of religious instructions sprinkled throughout the day where everything is artificially made about God. It's not about artificially making stuff about God. Taking this and saying, oh yeah, son, well, that's really nice there. You know, God And then getting into some kind of discourse about the Trinity or something over, you know, over a flower. That's not. That's not what this is talking about. What this is talking about is that your life is so pervaded by the truth of God that the truth of God is has such a home here in the soul of you as a mom and you as a dad that it just can't happen. It it just you can't help but to always be talking about the Lord. You're talking about him all the time. You're rejoicing and that all goes back to what we found at the beginning of this series. Be filled with the Spirit. How are we filled with the Spirit? When we have the word of the Spirit infusing every aspect of our lives. It's not about artificially teaching your kids out of every circumstance. It's about being a person who loves the Lord. That's it. It's about being a person who really loves the God, deeply, genuinely, in thought, in deed, in everything. So by the grace of God and for the glory of God, let's be careful, courageous, committed, and constant as we shepherd our children to their creator and redeemer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, what a joy it is to call you Father. God, you are all of these things to us. You you do not provoke us to anger. We get angry sometimes in our own sin, but it's not because you provoked us, Father. Lord, you bring us up, as Paul has already told us, you, you nurture us, you cherish us, you grow us and sanctify us so that we will be blameless before you at your coming at your son's coming. Father, you are so good to us. And above all, my prayer is that we, as individual Christian people, will know the Father's love, that we will know your love, God, and we will rest there and rejoice there. And even today, God, there's much in our lives that is not ideal, much in our lives that falls short of this standard, that falls short of these principles from your word. And God, we recognize that we are being conformed into Christ's image, and we're not there yet So God, would you just comfort those today who might be tempted to uh, feel guilt or remorse or regret? God, would nothing of the past hold us back, but would today we decide in our hearts, I will be different by God's grace. I will pursue a godly life by his grace. God, would you help us in this? Would you be merciful to us? Would you even now, Make it very clear, the applications of your word that are most pertinent to every heart, every life, every family, every parenting-child relationship, would you do that now? Would you bless us in the remainder of this service, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.